This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Right, good day, and welcome to IAQ Radio. This week, we're going to talk a little home performance. Uh, things are kind of changing in that industry, and we've got... A friend of the show, Nate Adams, who's been here several times in the past and uh, gotten to know him over the years. He's kind of a neighbor up in Cleveland, Ohio. Cliff and I are out of Pittsburgh. Uh, we're going to talk about the changing world of home performance, but also on uh, talk a little bit about his book, um, the home home performance book, or home comfort book. I have comfort. Either way works. Either way, either either way works. All right, before we do, let's thank our marquee sponsors, John. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Articles blog. Engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. All right. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone, and congratulations go out to Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental, Dayton, Ohio, for being first to identify Swift's watchmaker Rolex as the maker of the Milgauss, a special watch resistant to magnetic fields. The IQ radio question for today, March 9th, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. What is home performance? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Well, we've got someone to talk about home performance. Nate uh, Nate Adams as Energy Smart uh, started out of he started out as an insulation contractor for existing homes, and he's evolved into doing comprehensive home performance retrofits. Uh, the projects are somewhere between a simple attic insulation job and a deep energy retrofit. Uh, these projects are sweeping in scope and thorough planning process and careful attention paid to what the problems the client wants to solve are. That's something we're going to talk a little more about today is, you know, what are, what are we actually trying to solve? And um, we're also going to talk a little bit about Nate's book, The Home Comfort Book. And I think if we go to the next slide, John, we may have a shot of The Home Comfort Book. There we go. There's the cover of the Home Comfort Book, The Ultimate Guide to Creating a Comfortable, Healthy, Efficient, and Long-Lasting Home. We started out looking at doing a full show on the book. Chapter 1, I got into Chapter 1, the Home Comfort 101, and realized that's a, that's a show in itself. So we're going to cut it back a little bit. We're going to go through the Home Comfort 101 chapter, but also talk about the, the industry in general. You know, people started out doing energy rating, and now we've got people doing home performance and healthy housing, and, and where this industry is headed in general. We'll get a little background with Nate, and then we'll talk more about that. On a future show, I'd like to go into the HVAC 101 and 102, and then definitely the insulation types. And you can see he also has sections on bath fans, lighting, and he's going to have a few more as time goes on. So let's uh, let's get Nate on here. Let's go to the next slide. We got Nate with us. Hello, Nate. Good morning or good afternoon now. Yeah, good day, buddy. Nate, the house whisperer. By the way, I noticed. Uh, I'm going to make sure we get that up on this on the slides. Uh, go to the next one there, John. Nate, let's let's talk a little bit first about where you came from. Uh, this is, I guess, a photo of you in the old days, uh, back with your construction crew. I don't know how old this was. Um, how, how long ago do you think this was? I think that's 2012 there, so six years ago now. Okay. How long did you do the, the energy auditing business kind of thing? Um, well, the the insulation business started in 2009, and then I wound it up in 2013 um, and switched over to what we're doing now 
which is uh, much more comprehensive in scope. Uh, and you call it insulation business. You came from the insulation world originally, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's a, um, as most stories start, I needed a job. Um, so, <laughs> um, I started out in inside sales for a fiberglass distributor and, uh, they, they liked my work and they put me on the road and then we got bought by a manufacturer. And then you may have heard about the, 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 the little dip in housing that happened, you know, about 10 years ago now, thereabouts. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so my, my job evaporated with that. And then two weeks later, my wife's job evaporated and she's in uh, web design. And so we had to do something. And I had uh, been learning how to do retrofit insulation, not, not home performance, not air sealing, none of that, just blowing insulation uh, so that I could teach my clients at the time how to survive the downturn. Um, and it was lucky that I figured out how to do that uh, uh, because it ended up becoming my living for several years there. I see. But the, at that time, you weren't as passionate about the whole home performance and you know you were, you were mainly an insulation guy correct correct and i i just didn't know better uh which is true of most people and it's uh we'll talk about the dunning kruger effect later uh you get into something and very quickly you think you know it all uh and then you dig into it a little bit and you realize just how difficult and deep a subject is and it takes you a long time to figure it out um that's fine don Okay, let's let's get the background first. What is, you know, I, I hear these terms, energy raiders. I got home performance, healthy homes, guys. I mean, we've got, you know, I think I think we may have a uh, definition issue here. I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what you guys call yourselves anymore. Can you talk a little bit about what is home performance? Sure. Well, yeah, so we could start by defining home performance, which is kind of nebulous. Um, the easiest way to think about it is it's like the field of medicine for houses instead of our bodies. Um, but a little more detailed definition is it's the art and science of controlling heat, air, and moisture flows to make a home uh, more comfortable, healthy, long-lasting, and efficient. Whose definition is that? Um, that's a combination of a bunch of things, but that's, that ends up being my own definition, but uh, you'll read that elsewhere. The art and science thing may not be in there, but uh, controlling heat, air, and moisture is uh, typically in the definition. So you have several organizations that have kind of, you know, evolved around or with this whole idea of energy rating, and this started back in the, you know, 70s, actually, I think, and then it's, there's been a resurgence here since uh, the turn of the century, I guess, and, and even a little later than that. What do the, what do the like, there's ResNet, Residential Energy Network Group, and yep. BPI guys, and what are the other major organizations, and what do they call what they do? That's a good question. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, the one that we end up aligning with the most is BPI, the Building Performance Institute. Because uh, they have generally chosen uh, existing homes as their sandbox, where ResNet is much more about new homes and putting ratings on new homes. Uh, so those are really the two primary organizations around this sort of thing. You see other things that are in the home comfort, or sorry, the uh, the HVAC world, uh, like the National Comfort Institute uh, is HVAC pushing towards the building performance side. Um, uh, and in a lot of ways, they're very successful. And then in other ways, their HVAC bias really shows through. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it, getting into home performance requires a major mindset shift. You can't be thinking about shiny things about products. You need to be thinking about solving problems and solutions. Solutions involve selling products. So I mean, we, we do pretty good sized jobs, but we aren't aiming to do big jobs. We're only aiming to solve problems. Uh, Do you know off the top difference. of your head how big this industry is? I mean, how many guys are out there doing, not what you do, because I think what you do is a little bit more specialized and a little different than I think what most people do. The, let's talk about just the energy rating industry where people are working in programs with uh, utility companies, et cetera. Do you have an idea how big that is? Um, I don't have a great idea for that because typically when people talk about that business, they end up lumping uh, HVAC techs into the group and the HVAC techs are like 90% um, yeah. 
Uh, They're huge. That's a huge yes. group. Yes, but in, in general, home performance, it's, it's not a common thing. Uh, and a lot of it is because of a lack of consumer awareness. Uh, a, I mean, if, if the construction business uh, was, the, or sorry, if, if uh, the medical world was the same as the construction business, you would go to a cancer doctor um, to get diagnosed for asthma or something like that. And amazingly enough, uh, you would always find that you had cancer. Uh, so like uh, when, when you have a comfort problem in your house and you call the insulation guy, what's the answer? Insulation. If you call the HVAC guy, the answer is HVAC. Uh, yep. So uh, it, it's really difficult to find somebody who can understand all of the different systems of a house simultaneously and begin to draw up a plan and a solution path that takes all of those into account at the same time. So it's, it's, a, it's a consumer awareness problem, a consumer demand problem. And once the demand is created, I think uh, the supply will end up coming in, which is why I wrote the book, the book first. What, what is the Department of Energy or e, I, I, probably DOE would be more focused on this topic. What, what are they doing? I mean, do they have a program? Uh, do they have education for you guys? I, I know they have a, a forum at least a week, you know, where you can go online and talk about things. And certainly DOE's done a lot of really good work with respect to updating the website, uh, the Build America website, and, and I forget the exact name of it. What, what's your thoughts on what they're doing with respect to this area? Uh, so DOE's Building America program is a really fabulous program. Uh, they are, they're not thinking of technologies 20 and 30 years out. They're thinking of technologies one to five years out, mm -hmm. uh, which oftentimes ends up aligning with the work that we do because we're, uh, we're running cutting edge, sometimes bleeding edge, but we're not inventing new products. We're just mixing things in a way that hasn't been done before. Uh, so building America is really a wonderful program. Um, and uh, then the Lawrence Berkeley national labs, does a lot of testing that relates. So they end up working with Building America. Uh, and then recently, uh, like in regards to air quality testing, because uh, you've had Jacques Touillon on of uh, uh, Fubot and you know a bunch of other uh, manufacturers. So they recently completed a study of uh, low cost consumer grade air quality monitors uh, to begin to understand which ones are actually useful at measuring. Um, and Fubot was one that did well. Also the uh, Purple Air, which I haven't tried out yet in a number of things. But in any case, Lawrence Berkeley is constantly doing work that relates back to the home performance field. Okay. Now, are they trying to organize this in any way? I mean, who's, who's going to help organize? Who's going to help do what you're talking about here? Or maybe that's something we should talk about a little later in the show. That sounds like a plan. It's a, it's a tough question, though. It really is. All right. So you also have here, it's the field of medicine for homes and prescription. And, and I know you're going to focus on this a lot A prescription without a diagnosis is malpractice. So let's, let's kind of go through that process of, of, of uh, first of all, getting control and getting comfortable. You want to talk a little bit about this slide, Nate? Oh, absolutely. So in, in the definition of home performance is getting control over air, heat and moisture flows. Um, and there's really, there's, there's a couple key points that come into that. The air is the critical one because heat and moisture travel on air. Uh, and then there's two sides of control. You need to be able to control air going in and out of the house. And then once the air is inside the house, you need to be able to control it. Um, uh, so you've got the two sides. You have in and out and then inside. Uh, and on both sides of those, you have to control air, heat, and moisture flows. All right. Let's go to the next one, John. So these are your priorities. And then let's, before I go into these, I want to real quick back up just a second. Um, in the old programs where people would come out and they would do uh, maybe for the, and they still do this for, for the electric utility, they would do an audit, um, you know, and they would, they would give people a checklist of things they should do. Um, and I think they focused a lot on, on these five topics here, but I, I, I want to kind of, get your thoughts on where that it seems like you guys are, are moving away from that model and, and toward different models or, or at least a model like this home performance model. Why, why is that Nate? Um, it, the biggest reason is the utility programs end up goofing up business models. 
so if you have your business that's running under somebody else's rules and that person can change the rules consistently and quickly without your input, that can drastically shift how you do your job, that's a problem. Uh, and that has happened enough across the country in various programs over time that there's really a, a pretty substantial backlash on the part of contractors against uh, working with programs. Um, and I'm definitely one of the people that has been noisy about that. Uh, and one of the other curses of programs is they tell you how to do your job. Um, and if you tell somebody how to do their job, if it doesn't work, it's their fault. Um, uh, and so what we would much rather see these programs do is tell us what result they want, which is usually energy savings in some form or another. Um, it may be, uh, it's a, the, they're starting to focus more on peak shaving. So like uh, the entire grid is designed for the, the hottest day of summertime when everybody's air conditioning is singing at full song. Uh, that, that's what they have to design for. So if they can shave that peak off a little bit, they don't have to have as many power plants. So that's the kind of thing that utilities want, where we would love to see them uh, do a better job of incentivizing that sort of thing rather than trying to tell us how to do our job um, uh, and then changing the rules and making things miserable. And I, I, I read, I, you know, you can verify for me that these programs kind of, you know, I don't know, I want to say come and go, but they, they get ramped up and there's money there and then there's kind of not enough money there. And especially with the tax incentives and so on, that seems to change quite a bit. And that, that must make it tough to, to build a business around. Uh, it, it does. And the, the solar industry has a lot of that where uh, the tax credits were off for a little bit, then they're on again, and different states have different credits. And so they actually have a word for that. They call it the solar coaster. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know how you can make it pretty with home performance, but uh, it can definitely be a roller coaster. So what the industry in general has been trying to understand is how do we disconnect ourselves from energy costs? Because that uh, creates a roller coaster. And how do we disconnect ourselves from utility programs? Because that creates uh, a roller coaster. So how do we make a uh, business that is sustainable all year uh, that doesn't rely on outside factors? What was your experience as a contractor adding insulation? Um, and I, I would assume you've worked in the programs uh, mm -hmm. during that period in time, uh, during that period of time. Did you find that um, you got callbacks because the things that you thought were going to happen didn't happen, or maybe things that you didn't expect to happen did happen? Yes, that could be something that was very frustrating. Uh, so that this is where, uh, like, air sealing, for example, can be a dangerous thing to do if you aren't paying attention to some details. Uh, so routinely, uh, for example, uh, natural draft water heaters. So uh, if you go in your basement and you see a triangular hood on top of your uh, water heater, uh, if you air seal the basement, you stop where that thing is pulling in much of the air that it burns. So sometimes the easiest place for it to pull air from is down the chimney, which is called backdrafting. Um, and then you can create a carbon monoxide issue. So it, it got frustrating in uh, the program world when they, they incentivized us to go air seal a house. And then we would hear that uh, the water heater was backdrafting and they would oftentimes work on putting that back on our shoulders. And that was very frustrating because we didn't have margin built in to go fix that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and also what we found like a, but my program that I worked with was pretty simple and we did win the uh, Department of Energy's uh, Century Club Award, which meant we did upwards of 100 jobs with uh, a home performance of Energy Star program. Uh, that yeah. was in 2012. Uh, but they incentivized uh, hourly rates for air sealing, which can end up goofing things up. So we've ended up fi finding that we like to use spray foam a great deal uh, because it provides insulation, air sealing, moisture control. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of an all-in-one product, so it can be very useful on retrofit jobs. But you, you couldn't charge very much for it because it doesn't take that long to apply. Um, and so you ended up moving to more labor-intensive, less uh, material-intensive methods to solve problems. And then oftentimes you didn't end up solving problems. So they didn't mean to tell us how to do our jobs, but they ended up 
uh, in the, the design of the program telling us how to do our jobs. All right. So let's go back to these five priorities because you, you've mentioned a few and I notice you're, you're pretty, uh, and I, you know, we've talked about this before. We, we emphasize the air ceiling. So air ceiling, air ceiling, air ceiling. That's your first three, basically. Yes. Uh, then insulate better, which, you know, makes sense, obviously, once we've got the air ceiling taken care of and then install the right HVAC. I think that's the part where we're going to see some I assume you're getting um, pushback from your customers when it comes to, hey, now that I've air sealed and installed more, installed more insulation, I need you to put in the right size HVAC equipment. Yes, and that can be very frustrating because uh, you generally want to size the HVAC to where you're going, not where you are. Um, kind of like if you're going to go on a diet, you don't want to buy all your suits now. Um, you, you want to, you know, buy a goal suit that you can fit into when you're 20 pounds lighter, 30 pounds lighter. Um, it's the same thing here. So the, the very first furnace that we sold, which was rather, uh, it, it, I couldn't believe it happened. I didn't think this client would do it. We ended up ripping out a three-year-old furnace they had paid for and replacing it with a nearly identical unit that was 40% smaller that solved the upstairs downstairs comfort problems to a large degree. It wasn't perfect, but it was a big swing in the right direction. Um, and so that client burned $5,500 on that first furnace. It's just, it's money wasted. Um, and so it, a lot of what comes from this sort of thing is you, you have to get your loading order right. So you need to do all the steps of the project in the right order. And then you need to do enough planning so you understand what's going to happen. Uh, so the pushback from clients isn't that bad once you understand uh, how load calculations work. So how you size HVAC well. Um, and we've come to trust the program that we work with uh, to give us good load calculations. So we size pretty aggressively because the smaller you can size it, the more it runs. And it basically makes the equipment have the equivalent of highway miles. So it's just going to run along happy as a clam uh, at low levels all the time. You don't want it banging on and off and on and off. Uh, it's not a comfortable way to have a house. And it also doesn't heat rooms that are far away from the furnace very well. So right sizing is critical, but you can't right size the house until you know where you're going or you get where you're going. All right. We're going to talk more about that. Let's go. Cliff, by the way, anything you'd like to jump in here with? No, uh, I, I asked just one thing, Nate. What, sure. where, when did he come up with this house whisperer? Um, uh, actually, it was uh, uh, a friend of my wife's analyzed our website and looked at it like, you're trying to do too much with the website. And uh, so I looked into breaking it up so I could have a separate website for marketing this book. And I don't know where it came from, but uh, I've heard a couple of people talk about whispering to houses and it's, it's really what we do. Um, it's understanding the houses and giving them the tweaks and, and helping them become what, the, what they can become. Uh, so yeah, it's a, I'm glad you like it. I, I get a lot of good feedback on that for something that I did really on a whim. All right. So this is your slide we call the Gulf of Disappointment. And, and I think this helps to set up the rest of the uh, discussion here, Nate. Tell, tell listeners what you mean by the Gulf of Disappointment. And this comes from your experience, I guess, in the early days of doing uh, a lot of insulation work. Yes, all too often I would hear back from clients that uh, I hadn't solved the problem that they called me for. Um, although to some extent they owned that as well, they just weren't willing to admit it because they told me what to do. So when I did it and it didn't work, technically it's their fault. Um, uh, so it's, it, it's an interesting thing. But um, coming back to the Gulf of Disappointment, which, which, which we'll get to in a, a couple of slides here, the first thing you have to understand is uh, uh, the, the concept of low-hanging fruit thinking which is generally, all right, so we're going to do one or two things and it's going to make a huge difference to the house. It'll totally change how it is. We will solve the problem and we can go on with life and doing more really doesn't benefit us very much. So people make a few changes to a house and then the, it, it doesn't do what they, they think it does. So uh, yeah, we'll flip to the next slide. Go ahead. Um, what we find actually happens is, uh, is this blue curve, which is an S-shaped curve. So the first few things you do to a house, 
really don't move the needle. Um, you're basically just burning money and not accomplishing anything. Uh, but then at some point you hit an inflection point where things start happening very fast. Uh, so you get this really nice upward slope where you get a lot of results for not a whole lot of additional money spent. And then at some point you do get to a point of diminishing returns where uh, the more money you spend, the less result you get back. Uh, so what we're trying to find is that second inflection point uh, where spending more doesn't make sense. Um, so, and then we'll get to the Gulf of Disappointment on the next slide here. All right. So when you plot these curves against each other, uh, most jobs tend to live in what we call the Gulf of Disappointment. Uh, so you do a few things, not a whole lot happens, and you, you say that the contractor is a jerk and you wasted your money, um, and boy, that was stupid. And your choice is to either live with the mediocrity that you still have, or admit that you did something wrong and go spend more money to go fix it. Uh, and what we really endeavor to help with is to help people avoid doing uh, things that are out of order or that waste money that need to be redone to get the result that they want. Okay, so improvements on the bottom is going to be the things you do like air sealing or sizing. HVAC, and then benefits results are going to be measured in, in what? What do most people look for with respect to benefits and results? Um, so what we do like to get clients to focus on, rather than focusing on I want insulation or I want a furnace or I, I want air sealing, that's not what they want. What they want is their bedroom to cool well enough in the summertime so they can sleep without sweating or having to crank the air conditioner down five degrees. Um, so the first floor becomes frigid just so they can sleep. Um, so what we want to do is get people to think about what they're trying to solve. And when they stay focused on what they're trying to solve rather than how that problem gets solved through insulation and air sealing and HVAC, uh, they tend to stay on track and you actually get the result that they want. Uh, or if you just say, I just want insulation, they spend a couple grand and they land in the Gulf of Disappointment. Don't, aren't most people calling you because they want to save money on their energy? Uh, that's false, unfortunately. Um, I found that out early on in the insulation business. So I'm like, oh, people, they want to be green and they want to save money. Nah. Um, it, it, when it comes to saving money, people aren't willing to spend more money uh, than they're going to save to get a result. And if you're going to talk about things that have quote unquote payback, uh, say less than five years, uh, you can change your light bulbs from incandescence to LEDs. You can go switch to a low flow shower head if you don't have one. And you can just barely, if you install it yourself, insulate your hot water lines. That's the end of the list. There's nothing else that quote unquote pays for itself. Um, so that isn't a driver. But isn't that, so you're saying people, maybe I misunderstood. That's not what people ask about, or is that they don't realize what they really need or, or should be asking about is something different? Yeah, well, it's, so consumers have been trained to think about saving money. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. it's because there is some small amount of savings involved in these projects, uh, where if you think about, say, a granite countertop upgrade, you aren't thinking about the granite countertop saving you money. So it doesn't enter into the equation at all. Uh, so consumers have been trained to a large extent to think about savings, but the savings are not substantial. You do a really deep project on a typical natural gas home and you're going to save 20 to $40 a month. Um, okay. Nobody's socks are getting knocked off by this. Nobody's kids are going to college on the savings. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's just a little bit. Now, what we like to do is leverage that into a project. Uh, so if somebody's willing to spend $100 a month to solve the problems that they called us for, if we can keep that $30 a month and put it towards the project, that last incremental, uh, you know, the last couple of grands that that buys us, uh, if you look at this blue curve, oftentimes you're on the vertical already. So that last couple grand usually makes a huge amount of difference in results. So that's why we're scratching for that last little bit of budget because uh, that's usually the difference between an okay result and an amazing one. And that's where you have to change their um, expectations or, or get them to better define for you what they really want. Um, and you have to change 
what they expect, I guess. I mean, you know, people yeah. coming in thinking they're going to save $100 a month on their – I mean, that's the way I would look at it. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to save $100 a month on my electric bill. That's $1,200 a year. That means five years I got six grand uh, I can spend on X. Yes, exactly. And the, the curse is, number one, six grand oftentimes won't move a house enough to matter unless you're doing a lot of DIY work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, focusing and, on that takes oh. people's eye off the ball. Um, when you think about money, you end up not solving the problems. So you get into the, oh, this is cheaper but just as good, um, which is really the path to hell. <laughs> yeah, just to follow up, Nate, when you're sure. talking about the difference between – going from okay to amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that predictable? Do you know it's going to be amazing and can tell the customer it's going to be amazing or is the amazing always a surprise? Um, it's predictable to a degree. So this is where I come back to a doctor analogy. Will a doctor ever tell you that this will make, this will solve that problem uh, on pain of death? that's not how they talk. They don't guarantee anything. Um, They talk in odds. We got 50-50 odds. We got 90% odds. And as you get used to whispering to houses, I mean, one of the reasons I picked Nate the house whisperer rather than just the house whisperer is lots of people can become house whisperers. Uh, It just takes time to learn and understand so that you can predict what's going to happen. Uh, But the planning process that we go through, which makes us very unique, is what's required to be able to predict where on the curve somebody's going to land. Uh, so we don't know for sure ever, um, but we have a pretty good idea usually on what we're going to do. Thanks. All right. We're going to, I got two excellent uh, comments from listeners. I want to, first of all, on the second one, uh, save a hundred dollars a month. Yes. I have a $300 a month electric bill. Uh, my home is all electric, everything, the heat, the stove, the hot water tank, you name it. And um, I brought it down some, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, especially here in the Northeast, um, this time of the year in particular, they'll have four or $500 a month electric bills without batting an eyelash. So, mm-hmm. you know, saving $100 would be great. Nate, do you see that? Well, that, that is an exception where the, the math can begin to work better. Um, But you still have to stay away from focusing on that entirely. You need to stay on uh, the the goals that you have to solve. Well, let's talk about that because I have another text about um, health, okay? And and that's of great interest to me, and we're going to come to that when we come for the second half. I also should clarify, I live in an area where we do not have natural gas. So, you know, I don't have a choice. Uh, Either it's, you know, fuel oil or... Um, you know, burning some wood or, um, you know, maybe uh, propane. And they're all very expensive when you're trying to heat a home when it's, you know, 10 degrees out there. Anyway, we'll be back after with uh, Nate, the house whisperer, after we thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsor, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them, wolfsense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview with Nate Adams, the house whisperer. And, uh, John, let's go to that next slide. I want to come to this health thing, but I don't want to get too far behind on the presentation we worked on with Nate here. Um, Okay. We, we talked about the Gulf of Disappointment, the, the Sea of Success. Let's, let's first go back to the air ceiling, Nate. I, I know most of the listeners are very familiar with this, but I like your 
little uh, way of, of showing people um, air sealing and, and the difference between air sealing and insulation. You want to talk about this for just a second? Absolutely. This, this one I think is the kind of fun. I, I enjoyed coming up with this. So uh, to understand the difference between air sealing and insulation, uh, I, I picture going out on a pier in the wintertime. So there's one here in Cleveland that you can go out and if you want to experience what cold is, you go out there on a 20 degree day with a 50 mile an hour wind smacking you uh, and getting hit by crashing waves a little bit. Like uh, that, that, that defines cold to me. Uh, so I picture, what's that? Let you know you're alive, buddy. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But then you get back in the car and you crank the heat. Um, so uh, my way of picturing the difference between air sealing and insulation is putting you on that pier wearing jeans and a T-shirt. So you are frozen to the bone instantly. Uh, so, And I cruelly give you the choice. You can only have one. Do you want a very loose-knit sweater, you know, that has like one-inch holes in the middle of it, or do you want a windbreaker? Absolutely. I want the windbreaker, buddy. That's exactly the right answer. And the windbreaker is air sealing. Um, the the insulation is the, uh, the loose knit sweater. And ideally, you want both. You want an air seal around a sweater. Uh, but how most houses work is they're loose, even though they have insulation. So the, the wind ends up blowing through the insulation, just like the wind will blow through a loose knit sweater. And then it's not effective. So, so if you can get a house sealed up, uh, the insulation can actually do its job. All right. Let's go to the next one, John. So this is a couple statements. And one I actually I don't think was your statement. And this is perfect because we're coming up on the health benefits discussion. Um, one of the comments was you will not save that much money. I think we've hit that pretty well. I mean, you know, people expect to save a bunch of money when they do any type of, um, you know, anything having to do with energy and, and home performance, I guess nowadays we're calling it, they, they think they're going to save a lot of money. And, and I guess experience has shown they don't save that much. Anything you'd like to add on that, Nate? Um, well, just a, a little bit of brief math on it. Uh, the average utility bill per year in the U.S. is $2,000. Um, so that includes running everything. Uh, you know, that's hot water, that's laundry, you know, you name it. The heating and cooling portion is about half, give or take. So say it's $1,000 a year on average for heating and cooling in American home. Um, if I can save 50% of your heating and cooling bill, I am a hero. That is a difficult thing to do. So now we're talking at best, usually saving $500 a year. Um, and so typically you're going to see energy savings between $200 and $400 a year. You might, if you're really lucky, see $700. Your house, you might see more, Joe, because you have fairly high costs up front. Um, right. So th there's exceptions to this. I'm talking average. Uh, but the, the key thing to understand is we're talking hundreds of dollars a year, a year uh, in savings because a lot of people don't do the math to understand I'm only spending $1,000 to heat and cool every year. Right. So that's okay. all we have to shoot at. So you don't have that much to work with to start with. Exactly. All right. Now, the next one is the health benefits discussion. And we had a text. I want to read it. Selling improvements to air quality. The return on investment can only convince a customer so far to spend money to improve their home environment. The trigger that will get people on board and spend the money necessary will come from convincing them the health about the health improvement effects. You show them how this is helping their family breathe and live more healthy. They will spend the money faster than if it was based on selling energy savings and ROI. I happen to disagree. All right. I, I think you guys are headed down a rabbit hole with this whole health thing. I do agree to some degree that, you know, what you're doing definitely will help. Um, but it's going to be difficult to get people to see that, but you know, show me I'm wrong here, Nate, what's going, what is this health benefits discussion? I'm seeing a lot of it now in the energy world. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people getting into healthy housing and BPI has a new uh, micro credential, I believe they call it. Um, talk, let's, let's talk about that health benefits discussion. Um, well, we were chatting about this uh, before the show and I mentioned the Dunning Kruger effect which yes. I, I think is part of what's going on here. And the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically the 18-year-old know-it-all effect. So when I was 18, I knew it all. I've forgotten so much since then. Uh, so the, the, 
the general rule of thumb is you, you start digging into a subject and you quickly think that you know it all. And then you dig in a little bit more and you realize that you not only do you not know it all, but you don't think you're ever going to be able to know enough to actually be useful. Um, and then after a while, you start getting to the point where you do know enough to be useful, uh, but you never get back to that confidence level that you did when you first learned the subject. Uh, and so my industry is definitely guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Um, and the, the health benefits generally don't move people like that. That's selling. You're telling them what they should get and what they should care about. You don't want to tell the consumer what they care about. You want the consumer to tell you what they care about. Um, and that's what will get them to actually execute a project. I like the way you do that too. I mean, you, you have a nice process for getting the consumer to understand. It's basically getting them to realize what they really want and need. And, uh, I, you know, I, and I do agree with this whole Dunning-Kruger effect. It's it just, it's, it scares me a little bit that home performance guys are going to be selling, um, you know, home performance type work based on health effects when, you know, I've been doing this stuff for 30 years here and it's a tough sell. I mean, it's a tough game and it's tough to get people to, to, now there are times when, yeah, you do something and bang, you know, there's an instant, um, anecdotal, change in their health issues. Uh, absolutely. But uh, I think we got to be a little careful when we step into that arena. But anyway, let's go to the next slide. All right. So you and I had a little discussion on this whole blower door idea. You're big on, I've got to do, I've got to get my uh, metrics going in. And then you take another blower door when you're partway through, and then you, you take another one at the end. You want to tell people a little bit about why you think the blower door is so important to this whole process. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, it, it's very simple uh, with the five priorities, the first three being air sealing. Yes. Um, if you don't know how leaky a house is, how do you know if you made it better? And how do you know if you made it enough better? So back to Cliff's question earlier, how do you predict whether uh, results are likely or not? This is the tool. Um, uh, so I, I put in the chapter, actually, my partner wrote this line. He said, uh, the blower door is like a surgeon's eyeballs. Um, like literally the surgery will not happen without this tool. Um, you know, you have a blind surgeon. I don't think anybody wants one of those. Uh, and one of the other things this really helps teach you is as you're going through a project, uh, if you leave the door up and you test, say during the day when you're doing some spray foam work or some air sealing work or whatever you're doing, you, you begin to build an intuition of what works and what doesn't is one of the things we like to do is predict where we're going to get, which we actually, well, we have to, because to do the load calculations, um, to have confidence in the HVAC that we're sizing, air leakage is 30 to 70% of heating and cooling load. So if you don't know where you're going to get or have a pretty good idea of where you're going to get, you may put in the wrong HVAC system and then their costs end up being higher than you were predicting. And then in my mind, you're largely failing that consumer. Um, or your comfort's not there either. I mean, if yes. you don't system. Okay, yes. let's go to the so, next slide. It's critical. So, whoop, what happened there, buddy? There we go. All right, so this is a pretty cool graphic from your book. Uh, what does that blower door number mean? And I, you know, I, I took the ResNet class. I'm a little familiar with the blower door, and, I, and we do use blower doors, don't get me wrong, and I, I think they definitely have a, a great, um, there's a great need for using them on on, I'm sure, your types of projects and, and many others. But um, I find this a really interesting way of taking a blower door number and kind of giving it some, I don't know, something to hang on, you know, some, some idea of where we're at. Um, you want to explain people, to people what you mean by this leakage square foot ratio here. Typically what you'll see on a blower door is, you know, 3,000 CFM 50. All right, let's talk about where that is on this chart right here, Nate. Okay, so for that, you need to know what the square footage of the house is. Uh, and so say you have a 3,000 square foot house and you have a 3,000 CFM 50 blower door. That means the ratio is one to one. Um, that is reasonably likely to be okay. The house might be controllable. So that's like a B minus. Um, C plus. Uh, uh, but there's weaknesses to this, which we'll get to. Like if you have a slab house, that's probably horrifically leaky. 
Um, so you need to understand more about the house. But when when consumers are trying to wrap their head around this, when you start talking about ACH 50 and 1.0 and 2.6 and 4.7, um, and we got to be under a seven, um, it, they get confused quick. Um, and it's not related to what they're seeing on the blower door gauge. So this relates what you see on the gauge to the size of their house, which they know. So I find that this is a good, it's a good rule of thumb. Is this perfect? No, no metric is perfect. They're, the the perfect metric does not exist. Um, uh, Where does this come from? I made this up. <laughs> okay, all right, good. Uh, I think I've heard other people sort of talk about this. I've heard of other people say that they use this, but I hadn't seen anybody put it down formally yet. And so this is just from your your experience um, out there doing this type of work. You feel like, you know, a zero to one obviously is an A+. plus. There's no leakage. You're not going to see that in the real world, I guess. But, um, you're going to get more like, uh, you know, point three to one or point five to one or something. I don't know. Um, then a one to one is like a 1990 home, um, often good enough, which is interesting to me. Uh, two to one is more like a 1950 to 1970 home. Uh, that's mediocre. And I would imagine there's some uh, things you could do to quickly fix that up, uh, bring that more in line with the one to one. So what's, what's your goal? I mean, a minimum of a one to one. Yeah, generally that's that's uh, the the ballpark to get to, but it depends on the house. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, uh, and it so there's three things we have to balance all the time. We have the customer goals, we have what their house needs, which we have to do diagnostics to figure out, um, and we have their budget. So you have to get those three things to play together as well as possible. So we may not be able to get to one to one because their budget won't let us dig into the house deeply enough to get there, but it might be good enough. Uh, so one of the early projects we did was a Cape Cod that started with a 5,800 blower door on a 2,400 foot house. So it was like a two and a half to one. And we got it down to about 3,000. So it was like a 1.3 to one. And that house was utterly transformed. Um, still friends with uh, uh, that client. In fact, he bought another house, a brand new one that's really uncomfortable uh, and much larger than the last one. And so he's going to have us up. Uh, but it has three HVAC systems. And I'm just thinking like, oh, jeez, like oh, yeah. this, this is just a fortune to fix. And I don't know if he knows what he's walking into yet. Does that really comp? I guess that complicates things in a big way when you've got several units in a home. Yep. Yeah. So the easiest way to understand it is imagine having a car that has an engine in the front and an engine in the back and then two gas pedals. Um, okay. Good luck driving that thing smoothly. Um, <laughs> All right. Let's go to that. We're going to run out of time here, Nate. Let's keep rocking. All right. Do. What about this quick fix and dirty weaknesses, bigger houses, slabs? I think you kind of covered that. I was thinking about, you know, um, with your ratio that we had on the last slide, if I've got a one-to-one, uh, -one, but I'm on a slab, I, I should already, you know, because I'm on a slab, there's less leakage to start with. Is that, or yep. typically there would be less leakage to start with. Is that accurate to say? Well, there should be less leakage. And to get a house to be under control, the slab houses usually have to get quite tight. Um, uh, same thing with like larger houses. My, uh, the house that I grew up in was a big one. It was 5,300 square feet. And I happened to do a test on it. Uh, it was a 7,000 blower door, which doesn't sound that bad, but that house was horrifically uncomfortable in a bunch of the rooms. Uh, so that house to get to where it was controllable, even though it was 5,300 square feet, we might need to get it to a 3,000 blower door. Okay. Um, so you have to get it tighter to make it work. Small houses have the same problem too. So. All right, so once you've got the blower door number, your first one, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about the biggest problems to solve. Um, what, are the, what areas are most likely to affect those problems if they are air sealed? So, uh, and I think this gets into your discussion on stack effect and some of the other basics of building science, but let me let you go ahead and talk about that. Well, actually, we might want to flip to the next slide because I think that is stack effect. Good idea. Um, there you go. Uh, so the, the stack effect is how a house acts like a giant chimney. Uh, and chimneys flow more when you give them two different things. The taller they are, the more they flow, and the bigger the temperature difference you put on them, the faster they flow. Uh, so houses work the same way. Taller houses have a lot more stack effect. So like a slab branch has very little stack effect. Um, uh, in Shaker Heights, which is a, a 
a really lovely town close to Cleveland where the houses are built like 1910 to 1930 and they're all three stories. Those houses have horrific stack effects. So uh, when it comes to air sealing, what you want to focus on usually is the top and the bottom of the house mm-hmm. uh, because you end up arresting stack effect. Uh, another way to look at it is it's like uh, putting a straw in a drink. And if you put your thumb on the top of the straw, the water won't come out of the straw anymore. Um, and so good air sealing on the top and the bottom is like putting your finger on the top and bottom of a straw, and then it will hold the water in it like it's supposed to. Or in this case, it'll hold the heat and cool. All right. Let's go to the next one there, John. I don't, you put this one in here, Nate. I don't recall what that was there. You were asking, like, what's the easy air sealing stuff? Yes. There we go. Um, and... Uh, so th- this depends. Um, so the, the biggest thing that I can say about all home performance work is the right answer to pretty much everything is it depends. If mm-hmm. anybody gives you a hard and fast answer, they probably don't know what they're talking about because um, <laughs> there just is no hard and fast answer. But one thing that's oftentimes easy, if you have a flat attic as opposed to a cathedral ceiling, um, there's a lot of air sealing opportunities that are relatively easy to get to. Um, also in basements, uh, there are, uh, you know, the rim joists are relatively easy to get to. But like I mentioned earlier, and you, you had asked about, you want to be careful air sealing willy-nilly so that you don't cause other issues in the house. You can cause weird imbalances that may have side effects you weren't looking for. All right. Let's go to the next one, Joy. Here's an interesting one. What should be sealed but is more difficult? So this, this is where we strongly, strongly recommend uh, pulling insulation uh, entirely out of attics. Uh, so th- this illustration is from uh, my upcoming air sealing guide. So it'll be a, a combination of illustrations like this and then photos of the work actually getting done so that you can connect the how and the why. Uh, but the, the exterior top plates of houses, so where the top of the wall is in the house, is a really critical air leakage point. It's oftentimes not that much leakage. There may only be three or 500 points on the blower door here. So it may only be 10 or 20% of the total leakage of the house. But because of stack effects, Um, It's on the top of a two-story chimney. If you can seal that, it makes a big difference. So if you can seal these, it typically fundamentally changes the comfort in a house and how the house operates. Walk us through these three graphics right here. So on the left is what you start with. Find. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, And then the, the other two are different methods. Uh, So my, my general way of thinking is, is, I don't really care how you get it done so long as it works and it's likely to last at least 50 years. Um, So if you have a different way to get there, great. So yeah, what you see on the left is uh, standard construction where uh, that is wind washed uh, insulation. So if you don't have baffles, ventilation baffles uh, in with your insulation, oftentimes the wind will come up through the soffits and blow the, uh, the attic insulation off the top plates. Mm-hmm. So now you have a really, you have no insulation in one of the biggest thermal weaknesses of a house, which is a very, very bad thing. Um, you've got more potential, I guess, there for, for air leakage too at that top plate and, and in other places. Exactly. But sealing these is incredibly difficult. The only way that we've found that works really well is to remove all the attic insulation, put a ventilation baffle in, and then spray foam the whole assembly together. Um, which is what you see on the right. Okay. Um, Sorry, go ahead. The second one in there. I'm not sure I understand that one. Uh, That is if you can find a way to put very thin foam on top of a a top plate and then stuff insulation on top of that. Okay. Okay. I got Um, it. But that's, that's not an easy one to pull off. All right. But that's a, that's an interesting, interesting slide. All right. So now, we're kind of wrapping things up here. We're going to talk about avoiding the Gulf of disappointment. So this we're back to the red and the blue curves. Um, And what we find is most people are aiming for that first inflection point on the blue curve where it it, uh, starts going vertical. So they're trying to figure out what's the least we can do to get a noticeable result. And the problem with that is you almost always fail. 
uh, I compare it to like I've, I'm I'm gaining weight today, um, uh, last couple of weeks. Um, uh, so if I go on a diet and I say, here's my diet, I'm not going to eat dessert three nights a week. I really expect to lose like five pounds a week on this diet. This is going to be great. Um, that's not a reasonable expectation. Um, if you want to get results when it comes to losing weight, diet and exercise need to be involved. So, you know, you better cut your calories back a little bit and let's go train for a half marathon or something like that. Like that's, that's what it takes to lose weight fast. So houses are the same way. You want to figure out where is that half marathon training plan? So I didn't say a full marathon. I happen to have run one of those, believe it or not. Um, And that was, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that again. Uh, (laughs) I like halves. Halves is a nice distance. Um, But what you want to aim for is that second inflection point where going further doesn't buy you a whole lot anymore. Um, And it's a fundamental mindset shift to go from one to the other. But most consumers are looking for that lower inflection point. And if you listen to them, that is where you will end up. And then they won't get what they want. And they'll think you're a jerk and you won't get a referral. They won't be happy. Um, basically life sucks for everybody and nobody made much money. Um, (laughs) where if you go higher on it and you get a bigger project that's effective, that the client's super happy about, and there was enough work there for you to make a living on, um, everybody's happy. What's the 74 inches? Um, that is what we call the, the tipping point. So I didn't throw this in here, but, uh, Um, what we picture is imagine standing on a hundred inch long board with a rock on one side and a fulcrum in the middle. Um, When you get to 74 inches, you balance it and you solve the problem. Um, And we pick 74 as just being a kind of weird number that hopefully will stick in somebody's head. All right. So you don't have to get all the way there. You just need to get close enough to make it tip. All right, so this is the, the ranked pain list. And this is, you know, going back to your discussion of you've got to really figure out what it is they really are looking for, what they, what they really need. And then you'll, you'll do a better job of helping them solve whatever issue it is they, they actually have and, and, and help them get what they really need. Yes. So this is something that I'd love for consumers to start doing without uh, a practitioner involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you start making a list of, uh, you know, I get mold on the rim joist in the basement and I'm nervous about it making me sick. Um, uh, so th- there's a goal. Now, how much does that bother you? One is I don't care. 10 is I don't care how much it costs to fix, do it now. Um, so everything's going to be on there. And if you don't have at least a couple of eights or higher, you may not want to do anything. Um, it probably makes sense just to wait until either something bothers you more or you just do nothing. All right. Let's go to the next one. Um, and then I, I mentioned this earlier. So these are the three things with a home performance project. Uh, well, and really any project you have to make match up. So what do you want to fix, which is the rank pain list? What does the house need to get it there? And what is the client budget? to do that project. So if those three things don't play together, you don't have a project. So Um, don't waste your time. Exactly. Just do nothing. I'd rather you do nothing. Uh, So for instance, one recent client uh, in fall of 2016 paid a couple grand to insulate their attic and they were trying to make the second floor of their house much cooler in the summertime. It didn't affect anything. So he's already spent two grand. And then uh, I, I got called in and we spent three grand to pull all of that insulation back out and you can't put it back in. Um, once it's out, it's out. Um, so now we have burned $5,000 and the house is actually worse because there's no insulation in the attic now. <laughs> um, and now we can air seal and now we can replace the insulation and it's fundamentally changed how his house functions. And we, we dropped that house. Jeez, we got from a 4,000 down to, it was like a 1300. 1400 lower door. I mean, we knocked the snot out of that house. Um, uh, it, it was really a remarkable change. Uh, but because he was out of order, he ended up wasting all that money. Yeah. And what we want to see is like, if, if, if you aren't serious about solving this problem, don't buy insulation, do nothing. It's much better to do nothing because it will cost more to undo what you do halfway later. Interesting. Let's go to the next one here. Separating. Okay. This kind of brings us full circle here and we're running out of time. So that's a good thing. 
separating the energy auditors from the building scientists from the home performance specialists. You know, I think we talked a little bit about that. I don't think we mentioned the building scientists as much as maybe we should have. We could also put indoor air quality professionals in there. But the next one is the one I want you to try and get people to see if you can get an answer for. How You know, you're kind of rare in this, although I, I think more and more people are coming around to – thinking about this home performance, uh, home comfort, uh, improving indoor air quality. I mean, and I'm not, don't get me wrong. When I said earlier, I, I do believe uh, we had Ellen Tone on the show. Bob brings up a good point and, and she has done some research that shows if, if we do some of these things Nate's talking about, there's a good chance that it will improve uh, the indoor air quality and, and, and that it may also improve health. Um, I just find that it's selling a job, using that to sell a job might be a little tougher. And I, I think Nate did a good job of explaining why, but how does a consumer find these folks, uh, find these folks and do they really exist? That's a good question. And the answer for home performance specialists is not really because I made up the term. Um, uh, what I mean that to mean is the sort of thing that we do. And there's, there's a handful of people across the country that do this work, but there's probably 50 something like that. It's not a ton. And it's where you manage the project from start to finish. So I show up at the house, I figure out what they want to solve. We do a blower door test, uh, diagnose the house, do an energy audit, um, uh, do an energy model, make plans, uh, develop work scopes of what we're going to do, put that work scope in loading order so we know what order we're going to do the work, help mm -hmm. them get bids, watch over the work as it's done, quality control that work, and then follow up afterwards to see where your problem solved. And if not, what can we adjust to make that better? Or do we need to take another swing where we, back to Cliff's question earlier, we were wrong on our bet. Um, we weren't going far enough. So that's Nate, the house whisperer's ideal world. Um, you say there may be 50 of them around the country, maybe more, maybe there's more than we realize. How do people find them? Um, the BPI website can be one place to look. Uh, you want to find somebody who has a blower door um, and has some sort of building science experience. Um, ultimately, what the goal of writing the home comfort book was is to uh, create demand for this kind of work. And we've been developing the process that we do, which it has a high closing ratio. It's, it's incredibly satisfying work to do. We want to teach other people how to do what we're doing so that they don't end up having to make a lot of the, the decisions. I mean, it's, I'm wearing a hat today because you, you can't see the bruise on my forehead from beating against the wall for the last five years. Um, I love that hat, by the way. <laughs> I, I know a guy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, if consumers don't start asking for this, it won't happen. And uh, what we see being one really good potential for this is HVAC contractors uh, creating a separate division for this. Is a, when you think about the work that's usually done, it's typically a combination of insulation and air sealing on one side and HVAC on the other. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anywhere in the country to do HVAC, you have to uh, have a license. For insulation, you almost never have to have a license. So the HVAC's the harder thing, and typically the companies are larger because there's more demand for it. Because uh, every 15 years, a house needs an HVAC system, you know, give or take. Um, mm -hmm. The furnace and air conditioner are going to conk. Uh, so if they created a separate division where their, uh, their techs, when they're out in the field doing their service calls, uh, can ask consumers questions. So do you have some rooms that don't heat or cool very well? Do you have mold issues? Do any of your kids have asthma? Um, uh, do you have icicles and ice dams? You know, they can ask a few questions and then pitch an initial consultation and sell the initial consultation um, where a separate person would come out and do the blower door test and dig into their ranked pain list and that sort of thing. Um, and have you started a program like this anywhere? Is that something you're working on now? Or? We're working on that presently with a, a couple different HVAC guys. Um, so, because it, it we, we have to adapt what we've done to their world and figure out where the issues are. But uh, this year we're going to have a pretty good start on it. And hopefully next year we'll have a proper program. All right. Let's see what the next one is. I think this might be a good place. To, yeah. Let's, let's do this, Nate. 
anything we missed that you'd like to add? I mean, we kind of – we have this summary here. I don't know if you want to go through that or not. I think you've done a pretty good job just now in summarizing where we're at here. Um, anything you'd like to add before we sign off? I think you did a pretty good job. I mean, the, the only thing that I might suggest is if you want to read the first chapter of the book, you can go to NateTheHouseWhisperer.com, and it's a free download. Um, in fact, a number of the chapters are free downloads. It's like 100 pages, too, I do believe, Nate. It's a long 68. It, yeah. Um, how, how do you explain how the physics of how a house works relatively quickly in an entertaining manner? 68 pages is what I had. <laughs> Lots of pictures. So lots of pictures. Yes, absolutely. It's well illustrated. Um, and I think that's very helpful for people. Because Now, is the book geared more towards consumers or professionals or both? It's, it's aimed at consumers that want to dig into this. There's a lot of consumers that do have interest. So uh, uh, Allison Bales, Energy Vanguard's a friend of mine, and I know that his website gets somewhere in the ballpark of fifteen to 20,000 hits a day. So there's a lot of people out there trying to figure this sort of thing out. Um, and uh, so this guide is meant for a, a relatively well-educated consumer who, who really wants to wrap their head around how their house works so they can solve a problem the first time. Uh, right. But I found that a lot of HVAC companies are actually starting to buy cases of the book to use as training manuals. And I will mention real quickly the upcoming February, March 2018 issue of Healthy Indoors Magazine. One of our sponsors has some excerpts from uh, the book, and you've been writing an article there, which I think is great, uh, along with the review of the book by BPA's uh, BPI CEO, Larry Zarker, who's also been a guest here. So that should be out next week. Um, thanks, as always, Bob, for joining us. And, uh, Nate, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. Um, and, and getting your take on where things are within the uh, home performance, uh, energy rating, uh, healthy homes world, uh, and always always very interesting. Cliff, anything you'd like to add before we run? No, I was thinking of becoming the odor whisperer, but just getting that close to stuff that smells. <laughs> I don't think we're going to go there. <laughs> well, Cliff, you are the odor guru. All right. Well, this is uh, Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks again to this week's guest, Nate Adams. As always, uh, great to have you. We'll, we'll be back with part two uh, once I get Nate uh, and I get together and get a date to uh, where we can talk more about HVAC systems. I think that's uh, a very important part two. We'll, we'll be going into at a later date. So this is Radio Joe saying thanks again to Nate, my co-host, Cliff the Seaman's Lotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners, please come back next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.